Welcome to Swanglinese, the only podcast talking the language of business here in the Middle East. Your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Andermo, give you their own insights, as well as interviewing business leaders in the region to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. Barry, Oscar, let's talk Swanglinese. Hello and welcome to this episode of Swanglinese. Today it comes from the Shangri-La in Dubai, who are very kindly hosting us. And we have a very special guest with us today, Mr. Dave Crane. Welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you very much for inviting me. We've not seen each other for such a long time. We used to bump into each other and go to events, but we just thought, I think it's family life has driven us to, to feel like we're in prison all the time. Not that I said you feel like that, but to, <laughs> to just not bump into each other very It's often. true. Yeah, Dubai is a small, small place, but it has been a while and it's it's good to catch up and it's great that you've got given us the time really just to have a chat really um as you know we sort of uh, provide this to our listeners to help give an insight into what's going on on the ground mm-hmm. uh, here and you've been on the ground here for quite a long time 25 years i've spent in dubai 25 years i remember when i got off a plane i arrived and thought oh my goodness i wonder what's going to happen <laughs> and i still think that on a daily basis 25 years later mm-hmm. i think it's like if imagine going on holiday finding you quite like it and staying it still feels like that it still feels like a working holiday yeah. um, because it doesn't feel like home but it 100% is home and I only really know that when I go travelling anywhere else yeah. and I can't wait to get back to Dubai and I think it has that kind of a flavour and an effect on many people definitely and it must have after 25 years is a long time to feel like that and have you felt about it have you felt that way about it throughout that 25 year period? Pretty much. I think what happens is for the first four to six months, I was adamant I was just on a working holiday. Yeah. And then for the next two years, I kept complaining, oh, I'm not really into it, I'm not going to stay. And then I realized the only person that I was boring with that was me. Nobody else believed me. <laughs> and then after about two years, I got to the clue that of all the places I'd looked at where I'd like to make my new life, um, Dubai. It, it wasn't winning because it was particularly special. It was winning because everywhere else wasn't as special. Mm. So you'd go to different countries, you wouldn't feel as safe. Or you'd go to different countries and you'd find you're unclean. You'd go to different countries and find that they hadn't worked out how to deal with the weather or the taxis or a number of different things. Whereas this place, because it's grown organically and because the, the rulers have a very, a very um, beautiful way of looking at understanding expats and understanding if you're going to grow a country make it hospitable make everybody feel like it's their second home and it will become their first home and you don't get that many countries and that's one of the reasons I love being here and I've never felt anything apart from the fact I'm really grateful to the people who've created the country um, and very happy for the business I've had from the time I've been here yeah 25 years from now are you still here? 25 years from now, I might not be anywhere. Um, no, I don't think so. I think I've got a 10-year plan to enjoy as much as possible. My plan for the last two years or so is to go more global um, and do a lot more traveling. Um, I'm still doing that, and I've done quite a, lot, a few trips. I mean, I started at the beginning of the year uh, by hosting a big event in, in Brazil. I've been to various other places. But I think right now it's consolidating the growth of my own business on the ground in Dubai before I start looking up further afield. Because if you create an, a market and you take your eye off it, somebody else jumps in the gap. Yeah. Because this place is so driven by entrepreneurship and people who are really smart but looking at opportunities. So if you're creating one, you should sit tight on it. The minute you go, your seat's filled. So I'll stay for a little while longer before I start traveling again. How do you describe what you do? Like, If you would be in a networking event, you met someone you never met before, uh, what do you say? Like, I do 
Yeah, I train people to be great public speakers. Mm. So anybody who's had a fear of public speaking, that's simple. I can get people from a massive fear of public speaking to be able to deliver a mini TED Talk in three sessions or less. And that's a guarantee it gives to my people. And uh, literally about a week ago, there was a lady who I met about a month and a half ago who would cry as soon as you mentioned public speaking. Mm. I mean, she's a smart lady, really, really good. But... For some reason, from childhood, the idea of opening up to a group of people was just crippling to her. Um, and we had her on stage in front of a group of people delivering a proper presentation, and it was great. So it's an area that people really need to consider, especially if you're thinking about the fact that you need to have a side hustle in your business. Even if you've got a job where you don't get promoted, but you're looking for a way of improving your relationship um, with your ability to pay bills, creating a job on the side, an internet-based business or, or something you do on a weekend, plus plus, makes perfect sense. And one of the easiest ways to do it is to be able to talk about what it is that you do anyway. Whether you turn it into a book or you turn it into a project or a training course, or you just go and speak about it, if you're an entrepreneur and you can talk about the way that you do business, you get seen as a business leader and as a high achiever and somebody who's a, who's a real expert in your industry. So then more people will elevate to you because you've got a voice. Yeah. Uh, and I think that right now, because it's opened up from a way that it was, say, 10 years ago, where you'd only get celebrities on TV. Anyone can broadcast now. Anybody can do a video for LinkedIn, Facebook, or whatever it is. So if you can do it and you can be accessible and you can talk to people that positions yourself as an expert, and there's a massive opportunity. So um, I made a decision for me that during the, the gold rush in the US, the, the smart people weren't the guys who went out panning for gold. The smart people were the guys who were selling the pans. Yeah. So even though I do a lot of motivational speaking and team building, and the next two days I'm in Fajera, I'm in Abu Dhabi, um, my focus is very much on tra training people to be able to find their voice and go out and sell their business better. Yeah, I think it would go as far as to say that that kind of skill is almost essential today. It, based on our digital world and this idea of content, you've got to be able to be, put what you know into some sort of format. And public speaking, recording that, having somebody record it and then publishing it, must help with putting your or elevating your status as an authority in your specific area of focus. Whether you are the, the leader of the business or not, it doesn't matter, but you can be that, that subject matter expert. And one other guess I won't be replaced by AI or robots. <laughs> Hopefully. They're not very good at it. Maybe 10 yet. years now. For the next 10 years, I don't think so. No. no. Or call centers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things, as you're saying, is the fact that when it comes down to the market we have right now, I mean, I don't go near politics for, for lots of different reasons, but you can be elected president of the US just by driving it by, from a podium. Your ability to speak, your ability to create relationships with your audience. Are, are, are able to actually break down the barriers of what used to be a very conservative way of doing business. If you can talk about it and you can bully the audience and you can drive them in the direction of reality TV and treat your and gamify your life and talk about it at every stage, dropping little hints, then you own the narrative. And that ability to own the narrative means that whatever you tell a market that's open and interested in what it is that you've got to say, they'll start believing it's true. So you're finding your voice and, and, and um, adding it to your ability to know your industry is a really powerful roadmap for creating uh, success in your business that just didn't exist before. We didn't have the platforms and we didn't have people being open and connected the way that we are right now. Mm. So true, so true. So what's your background? What led you to where you are now? Okay, my background is very much in broadcasting. I've been on stage and off stage since I was about three years old. I'm 50 now, so 
people don't believe 47 years of being on stage but it's just I can show you the horrible pictures <laughs> of, uh, of me you know just look like an afro walking around the stage in a nappy but um, for many years I've been on stage I've been involved in entertainment in some way shape or form so um, it used to be radio bits of TV and bits of areas that would really involve an audience and their engagement so about two years ago 2016 Despite the fact I was well known as a speaker and a host of Rugby Sevens for 17 years and all the rest of the radio stuff, um, I realised the market had dropped out of many different industries mm. and I had a reinvention of myself looking at what are the three things that I would need to have to reinvent. First thing, what am I very, very good at doing? Speaking, talking, engaging audiences. What is my passion helping people and what can I make money from? Well, as a motivational speaker, especially in Dubai, it's very seasonal. Mm. So it's a real challenge to make it work all year round. But for me, I realized that actually what I did better than most people is I've got a back catalogue of working every kind of event possible. You know, whether it's hosting an event in front of 45,000 people or doing a small intimate um, radio show, the whole range of, of communication. I mean, hypnosis shows, for instance, yeah. to walk up on stage and, and make people do crazy things just by talking to them. It gave me an advantage where I could quite feasibly say, I'm one of the best at doing it in the world. Sounds arrogant, but... I really went through this. So I thought, well, what can I do that would really work? Why don't I show people how to do what I do? Yeah. And again, you've got to look at your target, your business model, who wants that stuff, predominantly looking at entrepreneurs and C-level managers, because it's one thing to go out and help the world, and it's very important that you do that, but you also have to help yourself. You've got to pay bills, and you've got to make sure that your family is still okay. You know, if you're being deported because you couldn't pay your bills or whatever it was, but you're a really good person, nobody comes up and gives you a hug and a sandwich, no. you're, you're gone, mate. So with, with that idea in mind, I realized that there's a massive market, something like 70 to 90% of the planet have a fear of public speaking. Yeah. So, um, Is it true that, that I think I read somewhere that it is the most feared thing in the world even over death that it's the number one fear in the planet is getting up in front of people and saying something I would rather die I wouldn't be surprised I mean the fact is that when you and I can't verify but we say that when we were cavemen and hunter-gatherers thousands of years ago that the only time you'd have to do public speaking is when the tribe is about to throw you out right. so it'd be in like 60 or 70 people and the only time you'd have to actually justify yourself and speak is when you've been caught for, for sleeping with the wrong person, stealing, killing, or whatever it would be. And so you'd have to justify your existence. Of course, if you kicked out the tribe, you can't go to sleep safely without a predator mm. killing you. So that massive fear of being noticed is probably built into us like loud noises and heights. Right. So it wouldn't surprise me that people naturally have to have, as part of their survival, a fear of public speaking. But at the same time, to have a voice in an industry where everybody else is doing the same thing. You've got to take any advantage you can. And one of the fastest and most effective ways to do it is to, to be able to speak about what it is that you do. Yeah. And that's why most people don't do it. Yeah. What, what's the biggest one you've done? Is it rugby sevens or what's the... Because the event is probably rugby sevens. Only no, because 45,000 people in the stadium at any given time, 100,000 over a weekend and about 2 billion watching at home. 17 years of doing that I can't do the maths I'm not that smart but it's Come quite on. a few people how um, <laughs> do you deal with uh, getting nervous do you still get nervous after no. 17 years I don't get nervous about most things I get nervous about the idea that I'm doing something for the first time but everyone who has nerves especially about public speaking it's adrenaline it's, it's what happens naturally when you, you have something that you're out of your comfort zone and you should treat it like energy you should treat it like the ability to, to, to raise your game better 
So that nervous energy can either cripple you so you can't speak or it gets you to, to, to go out there with more energy that you can transfer across to the audience. Because you should always be one level above your audience so you can energize them and engage them. So that means in the same way, it's like for instance with this podcast, if I was to drop my voice and talk about something really important, let me tell you about the tragedy I experienced last week. Then suddenly the energy drops yeah. and everyone's thinking what's coming up. And it isn't anything in particular, but I'm just doing it because if you've got the range to take it up to a higher level, you can energize an audience, but you need to be able to take on a trip. Yep. If you don't do that and it's all at the same level, people don't feel engaged. You just feel talked at. Yep. And so there's a battle between delivering content that's relevant and engaging your audience. So, for instance, if we did this entire podcast about just content... And it was like a presentation where we're just giving facts and figures. People might say, well, that's great. Could you just send us a PDF and yeah. we'll, we'll go through it on our own? Yeah. Whereas if we just talk about the weather and you know, our life in Dubai, we don't actually give any content, that's the wrong direction. It's going to be, yeah, I enjoy your company, but why am I listening to this? Yeah. So the sweet spot is getting the balance. And I think the balance is about 30% engagement and about 70% content mm-hmm. whenever you're out there. I think that if you're looking at a business market, you want to have your energy and, and experience of being about 60 to 75% of energy is about right. If you go much higher than that, it becomes like a pop concert. It, people don't pay attention, they're too excited. Drop it too much below that and people don't feel engaged enough to really work on a call to action. Mm-hmm. So what you need to be able to do is get the energy of an audience. So if you needed to, you could take it up to 80, 90% but you keep it on a sweet spot between 60 and 70. That way, um, people are with you. They don't feel that they need to do something else in your presence, and they're not so hyper that they've lost the plot of what it is you ask them to do afterwards. Right, Yeah, which is very important, because at the end of the day, you need them to convert into whatever it is that you want them to convert into. I either process the point that you're making, buy something from you, buy into your story, buy into the community, whatever it is you need, and this is core to any communication, is tell people what you want and make sure that they do what you ask of them. If you've lost them because they're off, you know, on a in, a in a high state, which is good, but if they're too off the charts, then they're going to forget, what is it? what was I supposed to do? Oh yeah, it was really entertaining, but uh, okay, and on to the next thing, because people's attention spans as well these days is just gone. They, they can't focus on anything, so unless you get them in that moment, you lose them. Uh, and I think this is it's really important when it comes to communication across the board that you make sure that you keep them in that range where you've got them and you can basically move them as you as you see fit. But that must take a lot of practice. It does, but also everybody's got a story that they can use and they can also borrow other people's engagement techniques to do it. I was watching a, um, a report this morning on one of the American news programs where it's saying that um, because, I mean, Trump's um, rallies, live rallies are being dropped by by um, Fox News, it used to be live, and they're saying it's because the, the, the audience has changed. What it used to be is you could have 3.7 seconds before somebody would, could get bored. Now it's something like 1.5 or even less, maybe 1.3. Now, if you haven't engaged people by that time, they just switch off. And everyone's got a device. Everyone's got Facebook, LinkedIn. They've got WhatsApp. They've got ways of communicating. They've got ways of reading stuff. They don't have to be there in front of you. So you have to lead them on a, on a trip and make sure the energy is right and the engagement is right. And I've had lots of audiences that are really challenging to work with. But what I do when I train people to work with me is I train them to be able to get an audience to react to you and to be with you on your journey within 10 seconds. So if you're listening to this, I hope you're paying attention because Dave is dropping some 
good knowledge, so pay attention. Stop, stop looking at your phone. Yeah, that's right, if you're listening to this, because I've already switched off and gone click. <laughs> Boring! Get to the interesting stuff, thank you very much. But, no, but this is one of the reasons why I like the podcast format, because you listen, and you listen when you drive, you listen when you walk. If, if I'm on a computer and watch YouTube, I, it's so easy to, to just change the... And get distracted. Um, yeah. yeah, podcast is, is an amazing, it's an amazing um, development, because effectively you're creating a radio show for experts to a specific audience where there are no adverts and you don't have to have a producer say get more commercial mm. you can get really deep down and dirty about any particular subject for the people that want to have it whether you've got three people listening or you've got 20 people or 20,000 people they're there because they want to be there with your subject mm. and that didn't happen before and I think it's really exciting to be in a world where before everything was between the casting couch and the, the decision makers making the TV and the films it was a small group of people who would decide what you had to watch and listen to. Mm. I can't even think of... Imagine sitting there and you're watching three channels on your TV on an evening and the programming of what's coming up is chosen by somebody who thinks they know you better than you. I mean, now with Netflix and so on, you'd never dream of that. I'll have a box set, please. Give me like a load of chocolates and, and some coffee and I'll sit there for like 12 hours and, and watch... A lot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Marvel and all the rest of it. So... Um, podcasting is is really liberating um, and it's very effective and when you get guys like Joe Rogan he he is more effective in reaching his audience but something like 10 million podcast downloads a month means that he has the viewership or the listenership of a CNN or a Fox or any of those and his uh, episodes are three hours long exactly both you and uh, yeah I listen to a lot of them I listen listen to them on one and a half times speed though to get through because it just it's too slow (laughs) the the Mickey Mouse show (laughs) when it goes to two times speed then it's the Mickey Mouse and I can't understand what's going on but one and a half speed you get and yeah Yeah. it's it's interesting and it's it's something that I have an interest in therefore I'm far more likely to listen to that's the core to everything yeah. now is about relevancy if so I'm not uh, interested if you're listening to this you can speed it up to 1.5 because we, we don't talk that fast no, no we don't <laughs> <laughs> quite slowly in yeah. fact well we try to yeah. but it is, it's really interesting to the, all these different channels but the, the core to it is that you know and this podcast came out of an idea that Oscar and I were sat together and said well, we should probably just record these conversations that we have about digital marketing business right. in the UA and whatnot. And, uh, and so I said, well, yeah, all right then, why not? Mm-hmm. And, and that was it. That's where it came from. And then as well, there's so many people like yourself on the ground here that have so much experience of what, how, what happens on the ground here and how it happens that there's a lot of people out there that can benefit from that. And it comes mm-hmm. back to you know, what you were saying about, well, you want to help people. Your 25 years of experience on the ground here is absolutely invaluable to pretty much anybody in business in the UAE because you've, you've pretty much done everything you know or, or had exposure to everything that you can offer some advice mm. and now having steered your, your ship to where your sweet spot is it's it's mm. it's a it's inspiring and b it must be quite gratifying for yourself after 25 years to be doing what you love yeah. i love i utterly feel blessed every single day to do what i do I find it fascinating to be working with the big companies that I do who bring me in to be Dave Crane. Bearing in mind that people don't know what I look like. I've got, I'm a black guy with long dreads and I do not look corporate. I might be wearing a suit, but I don't look like your average business advisor <laughs> at all. And that has bypassed 
people's opinions to just pull me in. I'm working with one of the top oil companies on Thursday, and they've got their entire procurement department of 250 people, and they bring me in to energize, motivate, and change their mindset so they can be ready for the new business models. And so I feel really blessed that they choose me to be in that position. Now, it's not by accident. I'm not going to blow my own trumpet, but I'm constantly looking at how I can improve myself. As soon as I do something, I look back at it and say, how could that be done better? Mm. I don't sit there going, that's fine, because one of the things about Dubai is it moves so quickly. The minute that you do something, you're only as good as the next gig that's coming up. So you have to be looking where things are going in the future. That's why your podcast is so spectacular, because it allows people to to um, elevate towards you. It gives you a ton of credibility and also a ton of people who then uh, want to work with you. I mean, I did a very similar thing with um, my uh, speaker tribe. I created a speaker tribe on LinkedIn. Um, and I filled it full of over a thousand CEOs yes. based in the UAE because I want to have a relationship with those guys and it's a closed door policy. Nobody else gets in unless I want them to be in there and so nobody goes in and starts messing about in, in what's effective in my house. Yeah. You couldn't do that without the technology and the mindset of what we have right now. I'm not spamming, there's no emails, it's all by choice to get a one in 10 conversion rate means I've asked 10,000 CEOs to join my group. And that's a long evening, many evenings. I had a big fallout with the wife in the Maldives when we were on holiday because I was just clicking and adding. Um, but that's reality. You know, to get what you want, you have to work on it. And nobody sees that. They just see the end result and say, wow. Somebody said to me the other day, we're talking about events and how to get so busy. And we said, well, yeah, but it's easy for you. You're, you're the Dave Crane. I'm like, well, first of all, I didn't know how to the. Our friend Ernesto, I was used to call yeah. um, But also, it's not by accident. But success leaves clues. Everybody who's successful, everybody who's doing something, if you follow their business model, there's a very good chance, if you don't mess it up, that you can get the results or at least a version of the results that they have. It's not that difficult to do. So, yeah, it was just uh, 25 years of experience. If some, someone is a new expat here, like let's say one, two, two, three years, what advice would you give them? Like success in the city, how do you succeed in Dubai? It really depends. I would say, first of all, the thing to look at is who are they? What age are they? Because I think we're really being fragmented on age now that we've never had before. You've got millennials who are what age between 21 and 35. And there's a fascinating um, presentation by Simon Sinek who's talking about um, the way that they are so different than everybody else and how we've created it. We've got an, an audience that believes they should be entitled. Mm. Uh, and so therefore, um, they want things to be interesting. The, the Maslow triangle of needs that starts off at the bottom of food and shelter and at the top of it is self-actualization. Who am I as a person is the other way around when you're a millennial. So you start off with who I am because you're going online to create that persona and you're happy to do that rather than eat because you've got an Instagram picture that you want to send off to everybody. And, and then you add Wi-Fi and battery power as the very bottom the of the pyramid yeah. is the most important things before you leave the house. Now, if you're coming to Dubai and you're a millennial, you've got a completely different set of interests than if you're slightly older. If you're older, the biggest challenge for anybody 50 plus is going to be how relevant can you be when you, when you cost so much? You've got wife, you've got kids, you've got husband, you've got, you've got family, you've got bills to pay. If you're a millennial, you generally don't have all those things. Plus, the mindset is different. You don't want to have a marriage or kids 
or a house or even a car, you might just want to keep floating, at least for many years or maybe forever. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on what your price point is and what you want to do. In terms of speaking, I don't work with millennials. I very rarely. Now, they have a massive problem communicating. Yeah. You, I mean, we're sitting here in this beautiful hotel, Shangri-La, and we're sitting with our phones on the table. Now, that would be standard in any coffee shop anywhere, but it wouldn't be a bad thing if we were all on our phones in front of each other. That's standard practice for millennials. Yeah. So when you're talking to somebody and they're talking on their, I'm on their phone and then they come back to you, sorry, what was that? That's what they get used to. I'd find it a little bit rude. Yeah. And similarly, when somebody um, is meant to meet you and they just don't turn up because they've got a better offer, in millennial world, that's fair enough because everybody would. In me, in my world, that's really rude. Yep. So to answer the question around the houses, when they come to Dubai, what do you want to do? Do you want to connect with people? Do you want to start your own business? Do you want to go out and network? One of the biggest fears for anybody who's from the, from the entitled and, 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 and um, millennial world is how do you talk to people? You know, they've got a thing called talking in the wild, which is when you have a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody. And one of the biggest fears and phobias for millennials is when the doorbell rings. Because they know everybody. So if the doorbell rings and somebody hasn't texted to say they're coming over, who's this going to be? Stranger. Completely. Yeah. And how do you deal how with strangers? Do yeah. So it's the opposite from my mom. For her, it's when the phone rings. Her mobile phone rings. Then That's her fear. Right, <laughs> exactly. So there's a massive difference in the way things get done. Now, they will balance up, but the most important thing for anybody who's older is not to do it your way anymore. Your way is done and dusted. You have to get with the program of millennials. We are all big hitters. At the age that I'm at now, I know that I can make things happen a lot faster because I've been there before. So I'm not going to make a mistake because I've already made mistakes on the way to the level that I'm at now. But you've got to do it in a way that millennials would be interested in it. And so it's a real flux in a very interesting time. Like we mentioned at the beginning, um, everybody in America right now, there's 44 million people who have side hustles, side jobs, mm -hmm. where they see it as standard to do something that brings in the money. Now, right now, what we're heading towards is more and more people are not going to get promoted they're going to find that they're stuck in a job that pays and it's okay. But you're going to find that a lot of jobs are automated. Um, they're going to be more robotics. They're going to be artificial intelligence. So you might find your job doesn't exist. It will evolve. It'll be a new version of it. But maybe what you need to do is discover what it is that you do better than anybody and make that into a job. And don't get used to actually a job where you're brought in and you, you own that space for the next two to three years. It's probably going to be a contract. Because especially in a place like Dubai, if they can avoid giving you a visa, if they can avoid giving you health care, avoid giving you a pension, but you turn up, you get six months and then you can go and we'll maybe bring you back again, that's where the economy is going to go and you'll see it faster here. So people do it here on the ground here will be better than people who do it all around the world. But I see that Dubai leads the world because it's so commercial driven and it's so many different nationalities all getting on with each other. It's a snapshot of what the world should be doing and we're very lucky and fortunate to be tasting it here. I agree 100%. And with that in mind, for somebody that is or should be, in your opinion, looking at that side hustle and isn't quite sure where or what their sweet spot is, obviously public speaking has got to be part of that uh, skill set that they go around to broadcast what it is. Do you have like a couple of tips for somebody that's thinking about this at the moment? They, they've just identified with exactly what you said there. They're thinking, you know what, that's me. Uh, how would I go? What would be some of the things that I could actually do other than speaking to you, obviously? That's step That's one. That's the first thing. Yeah, contact Dave and we'll put some details on how to do that. But in, in, in terms of that, what would you say to somebody that's thinking, you know what, I, I need to 
re look at my uh, re skill in in a way. What what would they what would the starting process be, and what would be a couple of top tips for them to to do, especially around the, the public speaking element? Well, I would suggest that what everybody does is go back to what you loved as a kid. What was it you went to university to do that you maybe didn't do? You got your degree and found that the business was different. What is it that's your real passion? Because we're going to have a lot more free time on our hands, and people do, but generally can do it unless they're being worked to the bone by their job, in which case change your job. What is it that you love doing? What are you excellent at doing, and what will people pay for? Those things are the sweet spot, because what happens is you'll get promoted. I mean, for instance, it's a classic thing. If you're great at sales, you probably end up becoming a sales director, which means you're not selling anymore. Mm. You're managing people, which means that you're probably bored, but you paid good money for it. So do you miss selling? Well, maybe you should do more selling so find the stuff that is, if you've got a hobby that's really fascinating but you don't know who would be interested in it maybe you need to look because you only need a thousand or so devoted people to monetize for the rest of your life according to, to Chris Anderson in, in the book Freeman in free and so therefore you don't need to have the millions of people loving your stuff you just need to have relevant people who are really into what it is that you offer to the market when you work in it, you crystallize it, you take it, to, you take it out there, you use online ways of getting people near it. Maybe you talk about it in terms of passion. Um, and then you create a market around what it is that you love doing. Everybody has something. I mean, we're in a world now where Marvel Comics rules a roost of the, of the, the, the movie world. Yeah. You know, I mean, great for me growing up being obsessed with Black Panther and everything. Nobody knew who it was until two years ago. Um, but... People find that there's passion now in pastimes that never existed before. It had to be you, you went to a job where you wore a suit and you were really bored, but that's what grown-ups do. If you can stop being a grown-up and you can start having more fun and you can enjoy what you do, and as I tell my daughter, tell people to kiss it if they don't like it. That's their problem, not yours. Then you can find not only to get a new lease of life, but you'll find that you have a love for getting out of bed and doing the stuff that you want. You'll put in longer hours. Your, your excitement is infectious to the people who may or may not have an interest in your stuff, but you'll find the people who love you, and you'll find the people that you can energize, and they will pay for that. Amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And I think that that's probably a great place to stop. Fantastic. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Dave. Where can people find you? Uh, I mean, um, they just have to Google you, but realistically, have you got some social media platforms yeah. that you prefer to be contacted on? I go to LinkedIn nowadays. I made a decision a little while ago that LinkedIn is the area that I want to concentrate on. It's where people with money, it's like Facebook wearing a suit, you know, uh, but people on LinkedIn, it's a little bit more stale, it's a little bit more boring, but that's perfect for me because I'm not particularly stale and boring. Um, I made a decision about... Two years ago, 2016, when I had about 2,000 people um, and my followers uh, I was connected to, I, I realized that I'd lost a load of business. This time, November 2016, I had seven gigs lined up in town, which is nice, nice little learner, and all of them canceled on me. And I realized that the problem was the market had changed. It was no longer when they say, people say, Dave, can you put this in your diary? It doesn't mean it's a guaranteed event. It just means that they're pitching for it. And I found out one by one, they'd either canceled it or they'd gone with somebody else or they'd gone with somebody cheaper or they did it themselves or they postponed it or whatever reason. So I realized that LinkedIn um, would allow me to, to connect with the end user. So I wrote 100 articles by getting up at 4 o'clock every morning and writing a new article. So people find me, they can see I was an authority on my, my, my area. I also um, started adding people who were decision makers. Nobody less than a manager. Manager, managing director, regional manager. 
if I wanted to work with any particular company, whether it's a hotel or Samsung or Red Bull, I would add the person. And some would say yes, some would say no. Sure. So with that, I grew to about 17,000 people on LinkedIn, which is not a bad amount. Yeah. During that process, I got my hand slapped twice. I got my, my account frozen twice. I got told uh, people complained that they didn't know me, so how can I add them? Duh! So I don't know 10,000 people. Come on. Um, and also, I got so good at sending replies to people and cut and pasting, you know, this is how we can work together. Uh, I got, got uh, accused of having software that was doing it. It's not. It's little old me with my <laughs> magic fingers. So now I'm at 30,000 people. Um, I'm connected to some of the biggest hitters on LinkedIn and I would invite everybody to come and join my tribe. They've created global speakers. It's completely free to join, but you do have to apply and you get a number of different free gifts, including a, a free hypnosis show, um, a load of different videos, all about motivation, some books and a load of really cool free stuff that I'm giving away for free. But also I'll train you to be a great public speaker, whether you need it one-to-one -one or you need it to be part of the group. Join my WhatsApp tribe and there's daily motivation in there as well. So I'd recommend having a look at my website, davecraneglobal.com, that's www.davecraneglobal.com, to see whether I'm not telling you the truth. Once you've realized I am telling you the truth, then go and join me on LinkedIn and let me know that you've heard from the podcast. And I'd love to know who you are. I'd love to connect. And of course, I'll give the feedback back to the guys. Perfect. That's awesome. We'll put those details in the, the blog post on the site as well so that you can uh, find Dave. And just remains for us to say thanks so much for the time. As, awesome, as always, really awesome to catch up. Thanks, Dave. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Swanglinese with your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Endermo. We'll catch you next time.